Good morning, faith community. We're continuing reading through the New Testament in a year. We find ourselves today in Romans chapter 13. Let me go ahead and begin reading in verse 1. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. Now, I want you to sort of back up and look at these first three verses and think about what is it that Paul's teaching against here? Really, what he's explaining is that anarchy is wrong. Paul is teaching against the view of the anarchist who says, we don't need government. We don't need rulers. We don't need authorities. Everybody should just self-govern and do whatever they want. That's really what we see in the book of Judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And you see that when there was times of blessing in the book of Judges, when God raised up a ruler. God's design for creation is to have authorities. Part of God's good order and what he has constructed is government. And when we rebel against that system, we're rebelling against God's design. God has designed the world to function in order, and part of that order is governing authorities. Now, there's two things I want you to learn from this passage about governing authorities. First thing, order is absolute, not relative. What do I mean by that? What I mean is we don't get to decide what we should think that we should do. It's not up to us. Now, this is especially important in a postmodern society. Postmodernism teaches that everyone determines his own truth. That's not how it works. When you have the law written out, the letter of the law, that's what it says. You don't get to decide. You don't get to look at documents that tell us what the rule of the land is and decide what you think it means. That's happening in our world today with the Constitution. There are many in our world today who look at that, look at the order that we have there in the Constitution, and they rebel against it. They rebel against the order that we have in our nation. Order is part of God's good design. I don't get to decide what the Constitution means. I don't get to decide what it says. It says what it means. The, The second thing that I want you to see is that order is subservient, not authoritarian. What do I mean? Well, Paul goes on in Romans 13. He says this in verse 4, for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid because he does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant and an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. What does it mean? It is God's servant. What is the it that it's talking about? The it here is rulers and authorities. These are God's servants. In other words, government is a servant of God. It's under God. It's subservient to him. We see this in Jesus' dialogue with Pilate in John chapter 19. In John 19, Pilate is incensed because Jesus is not responding to the accusations people are bringing against him. He can't understand why somebody wouldn't respond to those accusations. And it says this in verse 10, So Pilate said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? 
Listen to Jesus' response. Verse 11, you would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it had not been given you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. From that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him. But the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Do you see Pilate's response when Jesus says this? He gets it. He realizes he is subservient to his creator. He's trembling before Jesus. He doesn't fear God enough, though. He fears people more, and ultimately he gives in to them. But what I want you to see is that Pilate's authority is given to him. It's a delegated authority. Governing authorities are not the final say. So then, what is the final say? What is it that tells us what is right and what is wrong? Look at what the passage says. It says, if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. So who should be afraid? The one who's doing wrong. How do we know what is wrong? There's only one source of right and wrong. Jesus says it this way in John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is the final authority on what is right and what is wrong. If God's word says it is right, it's right. It doesn't matter what the government says. If God's word says it's wrong, it's wrong. It doesn't matter what the government says. God's word is our rule. It is our authority, and all governing authorities are subject to that. God's word is the only rule of truth. Now, with that, Jesus gave his disciples directions for how they should respond to governing authorities after he left. He explained to them in Matthew 23, this is in the final week of his earthly ministry, he says, the scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it, but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. Jesus said, Do what they tell you to do. Why? Because they're seated in the seat of Moses. They're seated in a place of authority. But he says, don't do what they do. Don't emulate them. Don't live like them. So when they're setting up their order for society, you observe that order. Now, what's interesting is Jesus didn't practice that across the line with his disciples. There were certain things where Jesus said, no, we're not going to obey this rule. And what you'll notice is every time Jesus refused to obey a rule of the Pharisees, it was because it contradicted God's law. What does God's law say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So when the law of the Pharisees and scribes came in conflict with the law of God that says love your neighbor, what did Jesus do? He loved his neighbor. One of the best examples of this is they had a law that you couldn't help somebody who was hurt or sick on the Sabbath. And what did Jesus say? Unacceptable. You cannot tell me that I may not minister to somebody who's hurting on the Sabbath. And so what did Jesus do repeatedly? He healed on the Sabbath. This is really the biggest offense that the Pharisees kept on bringing against him. This is really where they got incensed. And what's another one? We see that Jesus with his disciples walking through the fields and what do they do? They pick heads of grain and they eat. Why? 
because they're hungry, because they need food, and they don't do the ceremonial washing, and they pick heads on Sabbath, and the Pharisees said, that's working on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, no, they're doing good. They're taking care of their needs. That's acceptable. And so what we see is that there's always a higher rule. There's always a higher authority. So while you're supposed to observe those rules, the higher authority is always God's law. And what's God's law? Love your neighbor. So whenever those laws come in contradiction to God's law of loving your neighbor, you do what God says. You know, for years as a school teacher, there was pressure on me not to share my faith, not to share the gospel with my students. But when I saw a student who needed Jesus, God's law trumps the law of man. And what do I do? I share with them what they needed. When I had a student ask me questions about my faith, I would share with them what I believed. Why? Because God's law trumps the law of man. And God's primary law is a law of love. So the laws of men do not open up the door for us to violate the laws of God, ever. God's word is our final authority. The law of man is subservient to that. Romans 13 verse 5 goes on. It says this, Therefore you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone. Taxes to those you owe taxes, Tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. Are you paying what you owe? You know, we don't have any right, even when our government is not perfect, to stop paying them what we owe them. And I want you to notice there's four, four things here. There's taxes, there's tolls, there's respect, and there's honor. You know, maybe we do the first two, but how about the second two? How are you doing with paying what you owe? Are you paying respect? Are you paying honor? You know, we respect because of the position, not because of the person. And this is what Jesus is teaching, and this is what Paul is teaching. It's so important that we respect because of the position. Jesus says they sit in the seat of Moses, and so you respect them. Paul is teaching the people who are in authority, you respect them and you honor them. And who's in authority? Nero. That's an evil guy. Respect him. Honor him. Now, it doesn't mean worship him. Nero wanted to be worshipped. They're not going to do that, but they're going to show respect and honor. Are you paying what you owe? Here's the example of it. Paul does this in his own life. In Acts 23, he's brought before the Sanhedrin. And Paul says to the person who's sitting in judgment over him, he says this in Acts 23.3. He said, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. You are sitting there judging me according to the law, and yet in violation of the law, you are ordering me to be struck. Okay, so Paul gets struck on the face, and this is a violation of the law. They're not allowed to inflict punishment until the verdict has been reached. So the guy's breaking the law, and Paul's calling him out on it, and he's calling him a name. He's calling him a whitewashed wall, and he's accusing him of breaking the law. Now, he is breaking the law. He is a hypocrite. He is a whitewashed wall. All of these things are true, but listen to what happens next. Those standing nearby said, do you dare revile God's high priest? Listen to Paul's response. I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, replied Paul, for it is written, you must not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Do you hear, Paul? He says, I'm sorry. Why? 
because this is the high priest. Paul says, I didn't know as a high priest. This position is constantly changing, switching between Annas and Caiaphas at this point. Paul says, I didn't know. I shouldn't have called him a name. Now, is it okay to speak the truth? Yes, it's okay to speak the truth, but he shouldn't have called him a name. It's so important that we don't call names for those who are put in authority over us, even if they're evil, even if they're sinful. That does not give us a right to mock them. And I'm not the one saying this. God's word is saying this. Do you pay what you owe? How about honor and respect? I think most people know it's wrong to cheat on their taxes. It's also wrong to insult those who are put in places of authority over you. The passage goes on, and in Romans 13, 8, he says, Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So I asked you before, are you paying what you owe? But next, what I want to ask you is, are you owing what you pay? Uh, What do I mean? Are you owing what you pay? As you live your life and you love your neighbor, you show works of charity to them. You respond in loving ways. Does your heart have an attitude of debt? And, And what this means is some people, they do kindness towards other people. So people will do kindness back to them. I scratched your back. You scratch mine. That's not how a Christian is called to love. A Christian is called to love out of debt. In other words, I owe you love. You owe me nothing. That's the heart of the believer is they walk around with this great debt of love towards their fellow man. And why is that? Why is it that I owe love? It's because I've been forgiven so much. The one who's forgiven much loves much. If you are a sinner, you can be forgiven much. If you are a Christian, you have been forgiven much. Now, love much. The passage closes with this, verse 11. Besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. Last question I have for you. Are you awake? Paul says, wake up. And when you wake up, you should notice a few things. One is salvation is near. Every day you wake up, you're one day closer to eternity with Jesus. Wake up. Live in view of eternity. He says, put on the armor of light. Put on Christ. Put off these deeds of darkness. We don't need to waste our time anymore in carousing, going around to parties, in drunkenness, in sexual impurity and promiscuity. Instead, we're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and not make any plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. What does that mean? Make plans. This is the word here for making plans. It could be translated set the table. It's describing, setting up, making provision, preparing for something. What he's saying is don't set the table for sin in your life. 
Don't set the table for jealousy. Don't set the table for quarreling. Don't set the table for promiscuity. Don't set the table for sexual impurity. Don't set the table for drunkenness. Don't set the table for carousing. And what this means is lining yourself up so that you will be tempted. We know where we're weak, and we don't put our ourselves in positions where we're more likely to be tempted. This is like the fool in Proverbs who walks down by the house of the harlot thinking, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to walk by. Yeah, right. Don't set the table for sin. Why? This isn't who you are. The day is here. Jesus is coming soon and we need to live like it. All of our energy, all of our focus is on him. Are you paying what you owe? Are you owing what you pay? Are you living out a respectful life so that when anybody speaks against you, they won't have anything that can truly stick because your righteousness is shining through as you live in dependence upon the Holy Spirit? I hope that you're encouraged today to live out the fullness of your identity in Christ Jesus. This is who you are. Thank you so much for listening today. God bless.